Welcome to season six of the RAG podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. And this show has been around since early 2019. And every week, we are obsessed with finding out how the world's most successful and innovative recruitment agencies and their founders have got to where they are today. In season six, alongside the founder's story and the inside information of that business, I also want to focus on the reality of today's economy. There is so much noise about this inevitable recession that we find ourselves in right now. And where it's going to go, is it really having an impact on the recruitment sector? Are they seeing any change in job flow? Are they seeing any change in candidate control or activity? What is going on? I want to find out. So every single week, I want to forget the propaganda, forget the noise. I'm going to speak to a real life recruitment owner and find out what is going on in their business. I'll bring it to you every single Wednesday from 12 o'clock across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast on this week's show. I am excited to be joined by Luke McCormack, the founder and CEO of McCormack & Partners. Luke is a specialist recruiter who owns a specialist recruitment business in Glasgow that focuses on the UK roofing and cladding sectors. Now, I didn't even realize this was a market that you could have a recruitment business in, but we're talking about commercial roofing and cladding contractors all over the UK, big business. Luke, the reason I wanted to interview Luke, he reached out to me actually a a long time ago to talk about personal branding. And I've watched his journey ever since. And I've been unbelievably impressed by what he's achieved. He's got a team of seven. They're billing just under a million pounds in this year. And his process is absolutely crystal clear and mapped out. Luke is the face of the business. He's built a brand that has him on industry magazines. He's running podcasts and videos. He gets lots of engagement online. He has someone booking the the, the calls with him. So someone specifically books all of his meetings. He doesn't book any of his own meetings. He sells 100% retained or exclusive assignments paid up front. And then he's got a process and a team that he, he distributes everything to where the whole recruitment process and delivery is taken care of. So Luke's the face of the business. He's the anchor. And then he's got the right people around him to ensure that he can focus on what he's best at, which is pitching and selling and understanding the market while the product's being delivered within 30 days. It's a very, very, very different recruitment model to a lot of the businesses I've interviewed over the last few years, but one that I believe is becoming more apparent, more common and hugely successful. In this show, Luke talks about his journey through childhood um, the inspiration of his parents. His dad was in roofing and cladding. His mum was in recruitment, so he's brought that together. He talks about his energy and drive to become successful despite his humble beginnings. And he talks about not only how he does what he does, he breaks it down. He shares his screen. He gives he gives a, a visual document and breaks it down as to exactly how the inner workings of his company is. And then he talks about the future and the way he's going to go and dominate in the US in, in, in the future as well. So for any of you smaller recruitment businesses, I mean, anyone listening, but really you smaller recruitment companies or potential startups who are thinking about disrupting and doing it different and selling retained and having a model that's modern and digital, you need to listen to this episode because Luke is doing something extra special. Right. I love this one. So let's get into it. Without further ado, Luke, welcome to the RAG podcast. Sean, thank you for having me. Um, I've been watching your podcast for years now, it seems like, and um, it's good to actually get on the stage with you. So, yeah, thanks for having me, mate. Pleasure, mate. Yep. The show is four years old 
this month. So four years. Wow. I know. I know. Happy days. Mental. It's crazy you start something like this and you never expect it to go as far as it does. And four years later, you're still here. Yeah, I'm on about 250 episodes, I think. So I've done every week pretty much for four years, but I did in COVID, I did 60 episodes in 60 days. So, you know, I've banged out a lot more. So I think we're about 230, 240 sometimes. I need to add up to myself. I don't really look at stuff like that, but I will. Um, Luke, great to have you on. Coming in live from Glasgow. Um, probably colder than it is here, but it's freezing where I am today. Um, I've done a brief introduction to you, but I can never do it justice. So for my guests, people listening, those who've never heard of you, just give us an overview. Today, not the not the backstory, we'll do all that. Just who Luke McCormack is, who your business is today. Yeah, thank you. So um, Luke McCormack, so I'm a young entrepreneur straight out of Glasgow. Um, I own a business, McCormack Partners, but a specialist retained a niche agency that work in the UK roofing and cladding industry. I'm just a guy that sort of came, grew up in the outskirts of Glasgow, try to build something for himself, try to make his mark in the world. And um, I've started to do that through McCormack Partners. So, yeah, that's basically who I am, mate. So McCormack Partners right now, how many people you got? At the moment, there's seven of us. Right. So relatively lean team, but... I, I, from what I understand, you, you're doing some pretty cool things for, for such a small team and you're punching above your weight in a lot of ways. Um, we'll get to that, right? So you said you grew up in the outskirts of Glasgow. Making a name for yourself is something you've... You, I can get. A, I got a vibe off you when we met last time. There's like an energy. Where does that come from? I don't know, man. I think that growing up in the outskirts of Glasgow, you know, the outskirts of Glasgow is representative of the top 50% most deprived areas in the UK. Mm. So when you're grown up, you know, you can't really be quiet and timid or you'll, you'll sort of get attacked. Mm. Um, so you you sort of need to try and sort of hold yourself to a certain extent. Mm. I think that wanting to make a name for myself in the world of business, it's just something that I've had in me um, since I can remember, to be honest, even at school, like people always thought, you know, he'll end up going on and, and doing his own business. Or I think my one of my first girlfriends thought I was going to be a car salesman, which I'm, I'm glad I didn't take that route. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think um, it's just, it's one of these things you've either got it or you don't. And when I was younger, my dad, he'd been in the industry that I now recruit in and he would always be doing business, traveling the world, coming home with new suits, new cars. And I just always found that attractive. And I think just a bit about my personality as well. Like I like to sort of, I like to be a bit outspoken, you know, push the status quo a wee bit and mm. do things a bit differently. So the the beauty of the business is it's given me a stage to do that and sort of really come into myself, which has been good. How old are you now? I'm 28. Right. So you're still really young for being an entrepreneur, which is pretty amazing. Um, I didn't start my business till I was 30. So anyone who's a founder in, tw- in the 20s, I think you, you're already ahead of the game. Um when you said your dad was 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 in the industry and coming back with suits and cars, what did he do? So he started actually. Um, he actually started his career. Um, he had his own contracting business, and then he went to do sales for L'Oreal. And then after that, he got into specification sales in the roofing industry. So he would basically go into an architecture firm and explain to them why this roof is the best purpose for their project. Um, and you know that took him all around the world. Always a new company, cars, new suits, bringing you know business professionals back to the house. So I was just always sort of taking this in. Even been in the car with him while he's doing his sales calls. Um, you know, it made me realise that 
wow, this you know, this is something that, that I could probably do one day. Totally sales. He didn't he didn't get in he wasn't getting up there fitting roofs at, at the end of his career. It was all selling. Yeah. He was doing that at the start of his career. Yeah. And then I think, you know, the knees and the elbows start to go and he's got the gift of the gab. So sales was always the best sort of route for him. Amazing. So you've probably got that off your dad then. You must have had the energy and the sales ability and all all that natural good stuff off your dad. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny because my dad is salesy. Um, my mum's sort of the opposite. So I always say that, um, you know, people speak about capitalism and socialism. And I always say that I'm, I'm a capitalist with a socialist heart. So yeah. my dad, he's the sort of capitalist. My mum's a socialist. Like she worked in social work, helping people who can't help themselves. My dad is more about sort of making money and growing business. Funnily enough, my dad, he spent 30 years in the roofing and cladding industry. My mum spent about 20 years in recruitment. So I'm literally, um, you know, born out of that. And that's what I do. So it's quite funny how these things work out. Yeah, incredible. I mean, my parents, my dad was a footballer. So he was oh, really? 29. Yeah, he was a professional footballer till he was 29. And then he worked in a factory for the next 15 years. And then my mum, yeah, he just a cable factory to sit watching a drum go around. He was pretty, um, I think my dad was quite lazy, to be honest. He was mm. not a... It's why he didn't make it in football. He was he had the talent. He was at Everton for four years with Brian Kidd and all these pros, and he just didn't have it mentally. I don't think he put the work in that others did. He had the talent, but he didn't put the work in. And then my mum, my mum was more of a grafter, and she was a she used to be a hairdresser. Then she worked in shops and stuff, and then she ended up becoming a driving instructor, and she had her own little business. But that was later on when I was in my teens. But both of them can chat. If, and they're not they've not been together since I was like five years old. And they were at my wedding a few months ago is when I first saw them come back together for like 20, 30 years. It was weird actually, but they are so similar. My, both my parents could 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 have and probably should have worked in recruitment. Mm. They're both in, they can both influence you with things. They're both quite funny. They both could speak to anyone. Mm-hmm. And both my step parents are pretty reserved and introverted. So it's like I've definitely got the extrovert from my, both my parents. I don't know where I got the drive to do the to become more in business though. Maybe my mum a little bit, but she's not that. She's more socialist probably. Um, so tell us about your career then. You moved into, when did you, what age did you get into recruitment? <clears throat> so I get into recruitment when I was, must have been about 19 or so, I think. Um, wow. Is that right? 19, 19 or 20. Um, yeah. Because of your mum? Pardon? Because of your mum? Not really, mate, no. I'd, um, so I'd worked in the travel industry, um, a company called Barhead Travel. They had like, four or five hundred staff and that was my first job so I left school in school I was sort of jack the lad um I was good at business I was good at, I was good at drama I was good at history um because I got on with those teachers um but I didn't really know what I wanted to do in my life to be honest I left school and uh, my mum made me do an apprenticeship for them um a business and admin apprenticeship for Barhead Travel so when I sort of done that I got the interview and I got the job on the spot, which was amazing. Um, I was getting paid two pound fifty an hour for about four years. Don't even know if that would be legal that these days. Been legal. No chance. Because <laughs> I, I was on three pound twenty eight at seventeen, and I'm a lot older than you, so that's definitely not legal. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think it was two pound sixty an hour. Um, uh, but you know, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I think that when you start your career, be it with your apprenticeship, your first employer that can really be something that catapults you to the to the future. And it has for me, you know, I went from being in school to getting this job, being able to wear a suit every day, walk into Glasgow, you know, see the big world of business. Mm. Um, and in this business, there was like 400 staff 
I done business travel, so I was dealing with clients since day one. A lot of the others were sort of dealing with the public. Yeah. See, for me to go into that, like you're getting the train into Glasgow. I'm reading my Tony Robbins book. I'm suited and booted, and I'm just like, I'm going to have the best day ever. I used to always um, like my alarm on my phone was, I think it was take that greatest day. So every morning I woke up. It's Gary Barlow, funny, aren't we? Uh, Gary Barlow, actually. Um, so that's like sort of the mindset to start the day. But when I get into this business, it was brilliant because, you know, straight away you're sort of taught a bit about commercial acumen, um, a bit about being professional. When you see a big business, all the different departments, all the different department heads, mm. you sort of see how all the cogs in the machine works. And, you know, for me, that was that was vital um, to where I am now to, because obviously now I'm, I'm on the front lines helping business owners, getting an intimate look at their business, seeing how it's structured. And, you know, I didn't realise that what I was learning from day one would actually be helping me now. Um, so I was in there for a few years and then I was offered a, a job, another job in travel. So it was with a company who's the biggest travel management company in the world. They own like Radson Blue, TGI Fridays and, you know, the benefits package was at that size. It was the size of the yellow pages. Um, but what had happened was when I got that offer and I was ready to accept it, my dad had spoke to a recruiter. Um, now, the recruiter that he spoke to, he knew two people that were setting up a recruitment business. So I went in and I met the guys. And um, it's funny, right, because you need to be a, a detective to an extent in recruitment. Um, I didn't know what LinkedIn was. I didn't know anything about recruitment. But before I'd met them, I'd made a fake LinkedIn account. Funnily enough, the name was Liam McGuire. <laughs> so I connected with them on LinkedIn and then I seen what all their backgrounds were. So from the first day that I walked into that office, I was like, oh, right, so yeah, you worked at QuickFit and you joined at that time, so you must know them because of that. And these guys are all much older than me and I'm like the young guy coming in, telling them everything about their background. So they were like blown away. Um, and then when I got on to, to the interview, I was, again, I was offered the job on the spot. I told them I'd have a think about it. And then I would get the train home to Hamilton. My mum picked me up for the station. And the offer was 16 grand a year. I've just came off four years making £2.60 an hour. The travel management offer was um, 19 grand. So obviously when you're at that level, those three grand is, it makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, I, I had fire in my belly about recruitment. Like I, I wanted to get into that world so much. The culture as well, the travel management company, the office seemed a bit stale, a bit bland. Yeah. Um, you know, people just coasting through life, getting on with their job. And I went and interviewed with these recruiters. Like, their energy was all over the place. And they were like, look, we are amazing at what we do. We will turn you into a millionaire and all this. Um, they, they never did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I had found my belly about it. And my mum could see that. And the benefits package didn't exist. You know, it was a piece of paper um, yeah. that was... You know, your commission, commission is your benefit. Yeah, yeah. You get to work here and we might pay you commission. Um, <laughs> so I'd found my belly about that. My dad said to me, you know, don't take it. Go for the safe route. Um, take the one with the big employment benefits package. And my mum was like, you know, follow your heart. Go for your gut. Um, and that's what I did. And, you know, it's the best decision I've ever made. Um, you were there for how long? Four years, was it? Yeah, just about. Just about. So, yeah. So, and how did um, you perform in that business? So I was I was one of the, I was the youngest in the business, but one of the top performers. Mm. Um, for me, you know, it just came down to it was my life. You know, it like I would be the first in the office about eight, and then 
would usually leave about half six, seven, and then I would spend those other three hours in my room with the tunes blasting, make my business development list for the following day, and then I'd come in, you know, start hitting the phones and, and making things happen. So, like, for me, the the this first business, it showed me how all the cogs of the machines worked. And then the second business, the startup, that showed me the daily grit that it takes to get a business, um, a business basically. How many, how many, was it just you two, you and the founders when you started it? So there was me, two founders, and then there was four other consultants in the business. Right. Um, I only think one of us had recruitment experience. Um, and, you know, it was brilliant. Like, it was it was a really good business. They brought um, they brought somebody in from Michael Page to teach us how to do recruitment. So we had this big meeting room. He's teaching us. And I had my phone in the middle of the desk, and I was recording his full training session. And I remember somebody tried to take my phone to check the time, and I appeared grabbed it off him. He's like, whoa, what are you doing? I was like, don't touch my phone. But that, that training session, um, you know, that actually helped me when I started my own business because it was teaching you about how to structure a client meeting and how you need to sort of act like a consultant. Um, I found that when I first started hitting the phones in recruitment, you know, my face was beetroot. Like I was so nervous and embarrassed. I'd asked if I could go in the cupboard to make my, my cold calls and I was told no. Um, so for me, you know, starting cold calling, it was, it was hard to do it, but I'd done this thing every morning, 10 before 10. Yeah, so yeah, I did yeah. 10 yeah. business development calls before 10, sort of shake the cobwebs a bit and then they brought in good people to train us and I was sort of given a platform to realise I could do it myself um, we got that training at the start but after that there was no really any training or development it was just go make something happen get a what were you doing then were you recruiting cladding and roofing professionals so this when I started my division was the technical sales division so we were recruiting in all sorts of industries um, and towards the end, I did do a bit in roofing and cladding, and that's what made me realize I could set up myself. But the um, it was basically anything we could get hands on. You know, it's your usual generalist, high volume agency. They probably marketed themselves as more of a specialist, but it was the recruitment rat race. Take anything you can get your hands on, and um, the ups and downs that come with that. I knew that wasn't the type of business that I wanted to have, no. but for just getting into recruitment and sort of been in the wild west almost it was it was good for my development as a person um you know in terms of typing up emails you know selling candidates to clients um sometimes when you're interviewing sales guys you know they can be a bit too salesy and maybe um pull the wool over your eyes a wee bit so it was learning all these techniques to actually get to the truth and you know for me it was brilliant um i felt as if the 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 offer and recruitment it was sort of taking one step back to take two steps forward. And it, it really was the best thing for me. It sort of built so much confidence in me. And see when you get to the stage where, you know, one day you're you're in school speaking to your friends, the next day you're speaking to people about travel, then the third day you're speaking to managing directors of businesses that turns over hundreds of millions, helping them get E players for their, their business. So for me, for my self-image, for my confidence. It was it was amazing, and the thing about recruitment is it's the one industry where you get an excuse to speak to anyone. You could be phoning that person to get them a job or to hire staff for them to check a reference. So for me to sort of have that base where I could do that, I was just amazed by it, and you know I thought that recruitment was the best thing ever, and I'm so glad that I've stayed in recruitment because there've been so many times where you think, is this worth it? Where is the next month's salary coming from? 
And, you know, if you just don't give up, you can really go really far. So it was a brilliant time in that agency. Um, but it got to the stage where there was no vision for the future of the business. You were just literally knocking it out and billing and that kind of stuff and making... Were you making good money for him, though, as in commission and stuff for yourself? Not really, no. The commission structure was horrible. But I didn't know any different. So, yeah. you know, I just expected this is the way it was. Um, so I wasn't really making that much money. Even what was your life like? Were you still living at home? Would you moved out? What was? Yeah, so I was still living with my mum and dad. Um, I didn't drive, so I had to get the train in and then you know walk through the rain, sleet, and snow, the beautiful weather of Scotland to get there. But I was still first in, um, and yes, yeah, so it was in. Diet and all that was bad as well, though. So you'd wake up, it was like a can of monster and a roll and sausage and potato scone. You're in the office, you're eating crap at lunchtime. Um, and you're working crazy hours, been fueled by the cheap energy drink that they would buy you throughout the day. Um, and it was 360 recruitment, so it was everything from bringing work on to filling roles and, and everything in between. Um, so it was a good time and an, an amazing start to, to my career, but I knew that um, after the, the vision started to dissipate a bit, because I always, always had a vision, I was always a career-minded person, the owners were coming in at 10, leaving at 3. The MD sent out this big email one day saying that we need to be better so that he's got a better life. And I was like, man, this isn't it. Um, no, he's and, not right, is he? No, he didn't have it right at all. And just all these sort of things happened and it all broke up. One director tried to um, get one over the other one towards the end. The business fell into two. Some people went with one director, some people went with the other. And then it got to the stage where I decided I'm going to do this myself. So can you remember that day when you were like, I'm going to step, I'm going to set up? Yeah. I've been, I've been plotting it for a while. So I was listening to um, Robert Green, um, the, what's his, the, the 50, 48 laws of power. Right. Um, <laughs> the guy that worked next door to us, who still does my marketing to this day, mm. told me about Wix. So I seen that I could set up my own website for five ninety nine. Yeah. Um, I got a whiteboard from Gumtree for fifteen pound, um, and I remember it was the last day of the year, and the boss was like, "If they can just finish early today, I need to go." I was like, "No, don't go. I need, I need to speak to you." Um, so I went in and I spoke to him, and I just said, "You know, I'm leaving." And he's like, "Where are you going? What agency is it? Is it Hayes? Is it Michael Page?" And I was like, "No." I was like, "I'm going to set it up myself." Um, and he couldn't believe it. He was like, "How can you do it? You don't have a brand. You don't even have a website. Um, you know, I can't. I can't believe you're doing this." And I was crying and everything. I was like, "You know, how old were you at the time?" I think I was 21 at this point. Um, so I was. Um, <laughs> I had the chat with him. Got a bit emotional. That was it. And then when I walked out of the office, I just felt a massive weight came off my shoulders. I was on the phone with my friend. I was like, "I done it. I done it. I took the leap." And um, at this point, I then went back to my my mum and dad's and I realised I need to get out of here. You know, I'm in this tiny room. The walls are closing in on me and I need to move. So I had a car. I had my first car. It was a Mini. Loved it. But I know I had to make some sacrifices. So sold the Mini. I think I sold it for six grand. And um, I got a flat in the West End of Glasgow. I got a flat that cost a grand a month. I don't know why I done it. But it was just ego and I want it. So I paid it off for six months with the car. Didn't have any other money. <laughs> and then I just started the business. So 
when I realised that I had a brand and I knew that I can hit the phone and drum up business, <clears throat> I knew that it could start at some point. I had my first fee agreed with this guy who he owned a business where he would do the marketing and the manufacturing for massive brands like Hershey's, Lucas Entertainment, which is Star Wars, like all these companies that weren't really selling in America. So he would manufacture like Hershey's peanut butter in Poland. He would design all the packaging and then he would sell it at Walmart and stuff. Mm. So I had recruited somebody for him when I worked in this company and then he wanted another. So the person was meant to start in January um, and I quit the business on the 14th of December and set up my new business, my, my first business on the 29th of December. So this project was meant to start off. My first fee would come in, all would be well. And then something happened with the manufacturing plant that when the peanut butter was coming through the tube for Hershey's, it hadn't been dried correctly. It was wet. So all the peanut butter that was going to Walmart, people were phoning in complaining and saying, this isn't, this isn't right. So he had massive issues, had to stop production. I wasn't getting my first fee. And um, that was my introduction to the recruitment roller coaster. Um, so at that point, it was like, oh, and this was McCormack and Partners or McCormack Partners. This was McCormack Partners. And what and made then, you go with that name? Obviously, it's your surname, but where did can where did that come? How did you make that decision? So McCormack, obviously, it's my mum and dad. So my dad's mm -hmm. been in the roofing and clad industry for thirty years. My mum been in recruitment. Um, you know, that's that's who I am. So that's where McCormack comes from. Partners that comes from our model. It's a retained model. We partner with our clients. We don't just work off a job description. We get an intimate understanding of the business and then we do headhunting for them. So that's where McCormack Partners came from. But when I actually set up the business, it was called Recruitment Scotland. Um, but then our first invoices were going out um, for roles would get filled down in London. So that's when I rebranded it about a year in. And then, you know, things really sort of grew from there. How did the first year go? You're in this flat. You're paying a £1,000 a month. Your first invoice gets wiped off the board. Mm. How did it talk, talk us through that first year? How did you obviously not every day, but the, the high level? How did you perform? So on my first year, I think I only done like I only done about thirty grand in my first year, which is a big increase from a sixteen grand base. But then the following year, I done sixty six, and then it just sort of kept getting bigger and bigger from there. But I had this flat in, in the West End. And I was like really big into personal development. So like uh, Tory Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within, Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits, Good to Great, Start With Why. I had all these things printed off and like every wall in my flat <laughs> was filled with something like this on the ceiling. So like when I woke up in the morning, I'd look at the ceiling and I had a big quote on it and it said, you've been waiting your full life for this day. Don't quit, suffer now and live the rest of your life as a champion. So I was like fueled with motivation and, you know, a bit of... Do you never get a bit bored of that though? Like I get a bit sick of it, if I'm honest. Like, and again, I'm just giving you my... I've, I've done loads of Gary V and Tony Robbins and all sorts of people. And after a bit, I'm just like, I fucking had enough for you. Lot. Like, I'm just going to get on with myself. Like there's times where it can almost be a bit too much for me personally. I don't know if you ever yeah. felt that. I think you go through periods I've been really ingrained in it mm. and then not connecting with it as much like i've got a poster up there and it says today's the tomorrow you talked about yesterday when i first put that up for the first month i'd look at that it'd give me fire in my belly and i'd get to work i don't really feel anything when i look at it now um but i was always changing it you know so i had like a vision board i had um my 
sort of <laughs> I had a print screen in my bank balance um, where I made my bank balance two hundred thousand. I had all these affirmations, and you know, it gets to a stage where, like your reticular activation system, if you're feeding your mind with all this, you'll focus on that. Yeah. So if you're feeding your mind with things, it's going to take you to success, take you to the next level. You're going through your day, you see these opportunities, and you jump on them. I do think that after a while, they don't carry as much weight. Yeah. Um, and I think motivation can only take you so far. But for me, it wasn't just motivation. Motivation will help you push through the crap that we need to deal with. But having a compelling vision, you know, that that means that you can pull yourself through all the crap. And, you know, even when I was sitting there in my office, well, in my living room, on my dining room table with a phone and a laptop, I didn't feel as if I was, you know, this 21-year-old recruiter trying to drum up business out of his, his kitchen. I felt like I was a... I was a managing director, I was a CEO. Like I felt that, you know, this is this is only the beginning. This isn't this isn't me. This is just the first stage of it. So all of that stuff, it sort of made me never forget about my vision. Um and I would do it all, mate. Like I was doing my affirmations in the shower, screaming them out. I had the vision board, the Tony Robbins book. I was going to all the events. Um every every day when what I was your life like outside of work? Did you have any social life? Well, it's funny that, right? Because all my friends were in Hamilton. When I moved my car and moved into Finiston, um, I didn't really see anybody as much. You know, people would come through every now and then, but I was very isolated. Um, That has a big impact on your mental health. um, And, you know, it can make you a bit introverted (laughs) to an extent. But the way I've seen it is between nine and five, I'm on the phone to clients all day. Between five and ten, I'm on the phone to candidates. So, um, when, when my friends did come through and we'd done things together, it was good. But the majority of that time was in isolation with me, my dreams, my phone and a laptop and, you know, just putting every ounce of energy into getting it off. No time for, like, relationships or anything. It was just literally you. Yeah, no, I, I did have my girlfriend. She would come up and then we'd <laughs> her on a Wednesday and then see her at the weekend. Um, there'd be constantly times where I was meant to see her and I'm like, I'm working tonight, I'm working tonight. You know, this is my this is my my one true love, my business. <laughs> um, so I was definitely obsessed. I was definitely a bit unbalanced as well in life, and I've realised now that that leads to burnout. And you know, you can be making good money, but if you don't have a if you don't have your health, if no. you don't have good relationships, you know, <laughs> you don't point. have all that in check. There's no point in it. No. Um, so for me, at that point, it was all about the money, the self importance. But then my value system changed and I realized it's it's not about that. It's about the journey, the mission. And, you know, there's a, there's a good quote and it's someone says, what's more important, um, the the journey or the end goal? And then the person says, the company. Um, and I think that's so true. You know, that what is, what is success in life if you've got no one to share it with? Um, so since that time, my value system's definitely changed and I've realized that, three pillars of life health wealth and relationships if you got all them you'd be happy at that stage it was maybe just um wealth well i considered it to be wealth when i made 90 grand i thought of the millionaire <laughs> um but so, so then all right let's go into first year you you, you did 30 grand which I, that's not many deals i imagine is that what's that like so it's yeah, really it was low, deals. yeah it was low fees as well so yeah. I think you maybe get about six deals or something right. uh, to make that. It's so enough to survive. You kept in, yeah. did you stay in the flat? 
stayed in the flat, mate. Yeah, stayed in the flat. Um, right. Kept the flat for about two years or so, I think. Right, so year two, you then double it or whatever, get to about sixty grand or so. Yeah, so it was sixty-six in year two. Yeah. Um, which you know, again, it's it's nothing. And it's literally me. just you running around doing everything. You're not. You have got any teammates or anything at this point? No team, no nothing. No. I'm doing all the cold calling. I'm doing all the yeah. candidate work. Um, and I was and on the same journey as you at this time because we started about a couple of months apart. You were December 16, I was March 17. So it's been, I remember this time like it was when I was doing my thing. And it's, it goes fast, doesn't it? It goes, it real goes fast. fast and it's one of the happiest days of your life. Like I spent so much time just walking and deep in thought and just try to find strategies and new ways to take the business to the next level, to take myself to the next level. And, um, you know, it's, I think that when you've got a compelling vision that you're working towards, your life has got a deeper sense of meaning. And, um, you know, that was some of the happiest times of my life back then. No, I completely agree with that. I think there's different pressures early on, different stresses, and then there's different pressures later on when you, because you've got nothing to lose at the start. You've got like this unbelievable fearless kind of i just got to fucking get out there and do stuff and i remember it my problem was i saved quite a lot of money and i and i and i, and I remortgaged my house so i had about 75 grand in my bank when i started hoxo which looking back i don't know well i wouldn't change anything but it probably meant that i lived a bit of a life in the first year or so that didn't change that much from the year before. Like I still mm. went away, went, went a few holidays, and I went out, out of the weekends and that kind of stuff. I probably, <laughs> but then it was it was year two because I didn't pay myself for the first nine months, and then we paid ourselves like a grand, and then fifteen hundred, and it was just tiny amounts. So by year two, I'd burnt through all that money pretty much, and uh, I'm sat there in London getting engaged to my ex, and uh, I'm fucking skinned. And I remember it was just a, it was it was painful. It was really yeah. painful. It was a totally different experience. And then it wasn't until year three, really, when we, probably till the pandemic, till we started making any serious money that was like back to where I was in recruitment. I was, I was, I never, you know what I mean? Like it was, it's, it's been a while, it's been a journey. So how have the last few years gone? And because I know it's taken off for you, it's been a lot different over the last couple of years. Yeah, I would say it was after year three that things started to go crazy. And just to say what you were saying, yeah, I'd relate to that as well. Whenever I made money, I spent it straight away. My first fee was eight grand. And um, I went straight to the traveling saying, but Cancun with my girlfriend for two weeks and <laughs> nearly spent all of it. <laughs> Came back skint. Um, had to find the money for the taxis. So I know what it's like. But um, so over the last few years, things have rocketed absolutely massively. And it's not been until that we, I think that your business is a reflection of you. And as you level up as a person, so will your business. Um, so for me, the mindset stuff really did make a massive difference. Um, but, you know, as things went on, um, I started seeking out sort of mentors. And the first mentor that I had was a guy who, he was the marketing communications manager at Apple for about 10 years. And I seen him on a podcast, funnily enough. Right. And I just said to him, I just heard him speaking and I was like, you need to contact me. Um, so I, I had like all these amazing things here and he sort of just put it all together for me. So he started teaching me about positioning, the riches are in the niches. Um, you know, I was a hundred mile an hour and when you're moving at that speed, you leave so much money in the Did table. You a little bit of a scattergun approach then that, back then? Yeah, at, at that stage it was, but again, so was my mind at that stage. It was, I was full of ideas, full of energy. And the thing is, mate, like, you know, I tried everything. Um, I tried so many different business models 
and I had so many different mentors. But what Finn had sort of taught me was that he helped me develop what my offering is in the market, the ideal client persona. You know, his, his quote was slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Um, and before meeting Finn, I had tried so many different things to get the business to the next level because it was kind of this stage where you're, you're doing contingent recruitment. It's a bit generalist. You're not specialising in anything. And, you know, I came up with all these all these different you weren't ideas. Doing, you weren't doing roofing and cladding? You are doing a load of different... I was things. doing roofing and cladding, but it, it wasn't exclusively in the roofing yeah. and cladding market. So I, was doing other I spoke to a guy the other day who's been on his own for a year, and he's, to be fair, he's done just under 150, and he said, um, you know, it's not been a bad year, but he's like, I'm picking up random work all the time, and it's not, you know, I've got one or two clients that are serving me all sorts of shit, and, and I'm just filling it, or trying to fill it, and he's like, but it's not repeatable. Hmm. It's not It's not similar. It's fucking yeah. work. Sometimes it's like a marketing director, then it'll be a .NET developer, and then it'll be a project resource or something, and he's like, it's just not a sales guy. And I'm like, to me, that's just like recruitment insanity after a bit. Like you, the yeah. whole point in paying for a recruiter and paying a premium amount is because you buy in their network, you're buying their time to go and tap into the network, not to just run a search on LinkedIn. Like any fucker can do that. Exactly. What value have you got? And yeah, it's not. I think that's where a lot of recruiters get a bad name as well, because they've got no knowledge of the sector that they're in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes they don't have integrity. And they're just winging it, and they'll yeah, give you all these false promises. Then you might not hear from them. I mean, when I was in that startup, right? One week I was recruiting for a joiner. The next week I was recruiting for a scientist that was doing DNA genotyping to see what horse was best to take to market, what one's best to breed. And I had a good mind that I could understand these things. The next day I was recruiting for a football scout. Like it was mental, mate. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I'm not. It's not my. I'd hate it's to not. And whereas now we've got our core roles that we recruit for, mm. and it's basically everything that makes a roofing business tick. So surveyor, estimator, designer, contracts manager, project manager, business development manager, market manager, directors, specification roles, technical roles. I can give you an in-depth understanding of every single one of those roles. So can every single person in my business. And we know all the key factors that if you're looking for a contracts manager, it needs to be refurb or new build. It needs to be flat roofing or pitch roofing or industrial roofing or yeah, cladding. Yeah. It needs to be from a subcontractor or a principal contractor. And I think that as a recruiter as well, you can sell yourself to a client based on the quality of questions that you ask. Oh, 100%. If, if somebody's giving me a scientist role, I'm just like, right, okay. Tell me what, tell me what <laughs> you want me to Yeah, whereas when it's a role that we've got in-depth knowledge of, sometimes you can steal the client and, you know, have you considered this? Have you considered this? Um, so yeah, I think that when you met this Finn guy, then you were mm. you were a bit generalist. Was this pre-COVID or after COVID? This is pre-COVID. Right. So you're going into COVID and you've got still just you in the business at that point. At that point, it was still myself, yes. And you know, it was good to meet Finn because I had tried so many things, like I'd done temp recruitment. So I'd, I'd hired someone prior to Finn, two people actually, and it didn't work out. Um, but the first guy, he had been in recruitment for like 30 years. He'd get a massive base salary. And I just thought I can buy success. If I pay him that base, he'll build this, I'll be successful. Yeah. Or was I wrong? <laughs> but I'd done temporary recruitment at that time and I hated it. I didn't like, you know, the fact that people would just leave that contract for 50 pence an hour. Um, 
I liked the high volume of it, but for me, it, it wasn't good. I was always trying to do something different. Um, I liked executive level, speaking to owners, helping them with their problems. But again, I was stuck in the recruitment rat race. I'd tried something which was creating an ad pack, which was selling advertising space to companies. Didn't work. I tried outplacement services. So if companies were letting people go, you know, we would try and give them some good press by helping their employees get a job somewhere else. That didn't work. Um, I had a graduate recruitment program. That didn't work. I had um, Luca Interiors, an interior design business. That didn't work. I had Roofers Going Digital, digital marketing agency. Didn't work. And um, I had Storm King as well, which was generalist recruitment again. So when Finn came on, he was like, you're going wild here. You're burning out. You need to focus. The quote is, the man who chases many rabbits catches none. Yeah. Um, so Finn gave me the book, The One Thing um, by Gary Keller. And it got me to just focus on the one thing. And that is that is what took everything to the next level. Mm. Um, because they've got all this energy and all these ideas, but I wasn't really doing anything with it. So Finn taught me about positioning myself in the market, about how to brand your business and the sort of um, the three levels of influence. So it's me too, me better, me only. And I think in recruitment, a lot of people try and sell themselves as, oh, I just do what they do or I'm better than them. But then when you really get to the pinnacle, it's no, we are the only company that give this service, the only company with this knowledge, the only company with this positioning. That's when you get respect. That's when you start get paid in advance. And that's when you get long-term relationships. Um, so that was probably... So what you know, did you come up with then, with Finn? What was the high level? What's the model that you then created? So you, you want to be a consultant, doctor, diagnose and remedy. Before Finn, I had a, a menu of pricing. If you want this, you can get this. And he was like, you're not a waiter. Don't give people your menu. You're a specialist. Find out what their problem is. Give them one price for it. That's how it works. Stop chasing all this other work. Only focus on your ideal target client. So our marketing, our branding, our communications was all geared towards that. And <clears throat> off the back of that, one of our one of the one of our busiest clients now, I brought on, and I decided that I was going to do retained recruitment. I didn't have any training on it. Um, Finn didn't train me on it. He didn't know recruitment. Um, but I just decided I'm not working for anybody unless they pay me up front because we're the best in this market. So that's people always try and give advice on how to sell retainers. Um, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. But for me, it's show them that you're the best in the market, you're the specialist, and make it clear that you're not going to invest your time into these projects unless they pay you up front. Because once you've got that brand and that reputation, if someone pays you up front, you need to fill that because it's your project as well, it's your reputation on the line. Um, so Finn told me about marketing and positioning. Off the back of that, it gave but at this point, you weren't that specialist, and you weren't that well known, and you weren't that ex. You weren't the guy that had the track record that was amazing. So, yeah, I was just a guy in the recruitment rat race, basically. What did you do? Um, I started selling retained recruitment solutions, and I started. Just, you defined it as roofing and cladding only, and you you came up with all that. Basically, yeah. So, yeah. Um, we structured it that it's a fixed fee for the service. Um, I find that the variables of charging a percentage gives a conflict of interest to recruiters. If someone doesn't know if they're paying 40 or 60, 
the recruiter's got to send over everybody at 60 so they can get 20% of 60. Whereas what we would do is, okay, Mr. Client, you don't know if you're paying 40 or 60. Let's do a fixed fee on X percent of 50K. That is the price. Pays X amount up front and now and the rest when it's done. That way there's no variables and you know that our job is to get you the best person for the best price. So that was one thing. When I did start the retained, though, I still wasn't fully committed to it um, to the extent that, you know, I said that if we don't fill the role, we'll give you the money back. We don't do that anymore. You can now transfer it to another role. Um, but when Finn told us the market and then I started doing retained, that's when we get true buy-in from clients. And that's when, when things leveled up. Here's a message from our newest sponsor in 2023, The Recruit Hub. Are you thinking about starting a recruitment business in the UK or the USA? If you've thought about it, if you've got any desire to start a recruitment business in the future, or you might have just started up and you think, am I doing it right? Then you can download a startup blueprint and access key information. Information relating to funding. How much money do you actually need and what are your options? Knowing where you stand, you know, what is your non-compete and do you have any restrictions you really need to consider? Do you need a co-founder? What do you need to know about going alone, going with someone else? How to automate your way to billing faster? Business planning basics, things like what is a business plan and how do you write one? Um, and then how do you come up with a name and build a brand? Now, if you are interested in taking this document, our newest sponsor are giving it away for free. They are called Recruit Hub, and you can get it at recruit-hub.com forward slash startup hyphen blueprint. The link to this message is in the show notes. So go away, get that free information, and see if you're capable of starting a new business or the business you've just started, is it set up for success? Let me know. And you've obviously been building your brand along at this point. And you, I think you said you were listening to some of the stuff I was doing even back then, a couple of years ago. And mm. you've, you've gone for it, right? And looking at your LinkedIn and the stuff you've done, you've, you've really, really done well. So I can see you've defined this operating model. I'm going to go and pitch retained. But you, like I say, at this point, you're not that well known. Mm. What did you then go and do that has actually built your brand at the same time as, as, as going out there and delivery? Because they're the two things. It's about... Yeah, being good at something and being fucking known about it like they're the two yeah. things half the industry is fucking amazing and nope. nobody knows about it and then there's a lot of people that everyone knows and they're actually pretty shit and yeah. it's like, if you can get the two you, you, you've killed it and that's what it yeah. sounds like you've been trying to do so <clears throat> i'd hired so my friend brian i sort of reconnected with him at this time and um we he's like he was an english teacher but he was always reading sales, marketing books and all that. So we were always bouncing off each other on these ideas of marketing. Yeah. And I knew that to be tr- you want to be positioned to be known, liked, and trusted by the market. Yeah. Yeah. Recruiters get a bad rap, seen as the dirty cousin of HR. It's an unregulated, oversaturated industry to an extent. And, you know, we do often get hit with, with a bad brush. Um, my USP in the roofing and cladding market was that I'd had my mum in the business as their ops director. Um, and in the early days, you know, she was she was amazing because I'm going 100 mile an hour. She's scaling me back. I'm doing the client side. She's doing the candidate side. Um, but what actually happened there, and I know this is off topic a bit, but my mum um, was in a coma. And the doctor said that 
she's got a 50% chance of surviving. She, she won't walk out of this hospital. She'll never be able to work, walk, or talk again. Fuck. Now, that was horrible, mate. Like, that was, was that? So that was must have been about three years ago now. Um, so that was one of the hardest periods of my life because before we got to this stage we're speaking about now, I'd had the first two hires that didn't work out. My value system changed, and I realised that business is about trust and communication. Who can I trust more in the world than my mum? So I brought my mum on board, and it was amazing. Like it was so good. Like we're hustling with the market. I'm bringing in jobs. She's filling them. It, it was a good time. I was able to pay her a good salary, take her out the job that she was in that she didn't like, and there were certain times where at the start I wanted to recruit for these big brands so I could get the references. I would bend over backwards for them to an extent. And my mum was like, don't do that. You know, if you bend over backwards for someone, you'll never be able to stand up straight again. Mm. So she was like, stick to your guns. You're good at what you do. Let them know it. Um, so for me, like hiring my mum was 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 amazing. But then I got the phone call. The mum's in intensive care. This was during the summer that we had about three years ago. Yeah, yeah. It was like an absolute heat wave. I remember. And, um, she'd had asthma and stuff like that. And um, yeah, like, so she was in hospital here, Myers in Glasgow. And they'd said there's a 50% chance your mum's going to survive the night. She was in the coma. She was all sweating. She was like, puffed up by steroids. And then um, she got a transfer to Aberdeen Royal Infirmary. And she got put on the ECMO machine. So that's like, see when you get deep sea divers, they go too low and the water, um, the sort of air pressure, Mm. Um, sort of changes in their body they get put on the ECMO machine so she got put on that and this was for about two months where the business wasn't operating but we'd made good money so there was still money coming in and we didn't know what was going to happen with the future of the business future of the family if my mum would, would be with us and I don't know how the hell she'd done it but she came out of the coma she was having like these dreams of my my little cousin Robin and she was having to find Robin to save her so she's got like that fighter mentality in her and um she came out the other side and you know now she's sitting over there she's the ops director she's managing a lot of the guys she's, so she's walking talking everything walking talking she oh, put wow. on so much weight off the back of the steroids she's now back to the weight that she was at the mindset the speed so she's an inspiration for me and yeah, she's yeah. a fighter um so i that that was amazing but i know that was a bit off topic but it's just important to mention it because she has been so integral in, yeah, in getting yeah. the business to where so, so you get through that. You've got the you've got the business model now. You, you're going out there selling retained. What um, what when you said like we say you you talked about a brand. You've built a brand. What was what did you start doing alongside the classic picking up the phone and pitching people? What what else were you doing? So I realised that I had to be known, liked, and trusted by the market. Mm. And I met a guy called David Broom. So the first thing that I realized was as a recruiter, you sell yourself based on the quality of the questions that you ask. And the Ruth and Cladden was our game. David Broom had been in the industry for about 10, 15 years, getting a manufacturing firm off the ground in the UK. He spoke very well. Also at this stage as well, I still had that socialist side to me. So I was speaking at schools to deprive people um, and telling them about the career prospects in this Ruth and Cladden industry. David was speaking at universities. So I'd paid him to come into the office and teach me and my mum about the intricacies of the roof and cladding market. That gave us this knowledge 
as a knowledge base grew, a client base grew, and things get better. But we were still a recruiter. We were still outside of the market. So I realised that I had I needed to be known, liked, and trusted by this market. And I know this guy, David Broom, that he gets on brilliant with us. He can teach us the market. But he's known, liked, and trusted by the market. So I brought David on as a non-exec director to help with the strategy of the business, marketing, all of that. Um, but also I knew that familiarity breeds trust. If people see me along with David, they'll start to sort of trust me a bit more. And going back to my sort of my socialist roots, um, I tried to start a social enterprise in the first year of the business. I tried to get investment off a billionaire, a guy called Jim McCall, who is is one of my mentors now. Um, long story short, he says no. <laughs> but what I wanted to do was create a social enterprise that would take um, underrepresented and underprivileged children put them through a trade and you know the way it would work is when a client pays me money they're actually paying a charity so they could claim 40% of it back and the money that they pay me would be invested in to help the younger generation. Growing up in the outskirts of Glasgow I've met so many guys that you know they've been wrapped up by this vicious cycle of poverty they became drug users drug dealers murderers they've been murdered um, and they just sort of get forgotten about by society and I always felt when I came into the roofing and cladding industry and I seen how hungry the industry was for younger generation, be it tradespeople, be it specialist staff members. And I thought, you know, if we can plug these underrepresented young people into this industry, it's going to help them. It will turn tax absorbers into taxpayers. It will stop them getting into this vicious cycle of poverty and recreating it for next generations. But also this industry, there's a massive skill shortage. There's a generation gap. There's all the EU workers that have left after Brexit. Firms can't grow because they don't have staff. Yeah. So I'm like, right, I can connect these two dots. That's when we started our marketing campaign, People Make Roofing. And this is what changed everything. Because we wanted to become, in the commercial side, we wanted to become an authority in the industry, become known, liked, and trusted. But sticking to our heart, don't want it to just be about money, profit with a purpose, make an impact for the world, do something good. So when we realised that there's an opportunity here, we can actually help the industry by interviewing all the key characters from the industry, from the CEO of all the big institutes, the big manufacturing firms, the big contracting firms, to the people at the lower level and all the specialist people in between. If we document that and show it to school, college, university leavers, more of them will come into our industry. Mm. It'll help them and it'll help the industry. But yeah. by proxy... Because we're doing it, we then become a name that's worth knowing in the industry. So we started interviewing people through the campaign. They got to see what I'm like without speaking to them like a recruiter, just as a person. Mm -hmm. Then they would phone me and say, look, can you help me with recruitment? Can you help me with recruitment? And that just sort of snowballed. So it was being known, liked and trusted, having a retained solution. And it not just been about money, you know, about actually trying to help the industry. And, you know, looking back now, the industry has... It's given me everything that I've got now from my, you know, my house, my car, my business, gave my dad his life. And I don't want to just take, take, take. I want to give back to it. So with this campaign, it's ticking that box internally of giving back. And that's catapulted us to now being absolutely the market leader in roofing and clad and recruitment in the UK. Absolutely a brand name in the industry and absolutely known, liked and trusted by the market, which... I think is a very difficult thing for recruiters to get 
because again, we can be seen as the dirty cousin of HR. So you've gone out and interviewed a bit like this podcast. You've gone and met the senior executives across the, across the market and all sorts in between. And where have you distributed that? Is that gone out as a podcast? Is it on YouTube? Is it? We only started it on Monday. Um, right. So we've been recording these for the last 18 months. The first video went out on Monday. The second post went out yesterday. And over the coming months, it'll be distributed in short form clips over LinkedIn. The end goal is to have all these short form clips in TikTok style and sharing them with school, college, university leavers, teachers, anyone from outside of the roofing industry yeah, to yeah. educate them on what it can give them. So it's it's a LinkedIn campaign that will touch the world outside of roofing, but will also reaffirm our position in the roofing and cladding industry. So two-pronged approach, and it's, it's very powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when, when you're doing all of this, you've, de- again, we talked about this previously to the show, you've built a model that there's about the seven people Take us through the, the structure of how you work now. Like if I um, was like, you know, imagine we're a customer or whatever, because I think it's the way you're doing it is unique. It's not like a lot of recruitment firms. It's actually quite similar to how I work at Hoxo. So, and, and a lot of people think it's not possible, but it clearly is if you're specialist enough. So tell us about the way in which the marketing, the, you know, the retained pitch, it all fits into a business model, which is lean and high profit. Absolutely. I've actually got, um, I've got it all documented. So do you want me to show you that your process yeah, map? Show your screen. For anyone listening and not watching, you're going to have to pay attention to what Luke's saying. Um, you can always jump on YouTube and watch. If, you, if you're really interested in, in what, we, what he's about to show us, and we don't do this a lot or never done this on the rag, but if you do share, you share your screen, we can, uh, we can ensure that you guys see this um, on YouTube. So, so this process has transformed the business. It's given me massive mental clarity in how to run the business. And it actually works better for new hires as well. So it's a 180 model. It all starts with personal branding. Shout out Hoxo Media. <laughs> um, so it starts with personal branding. Be known, liked, and trusted by your market. Familiarity breeds trust. You know, let people know who you are. Be, be uncomfortable be comfortable being uncomfortable and, you know, put your personal brand out there. So like you, when you say your personal brand though, what are you talking about? I'm speaking about everything from my knowledge of the industry to my vulnerabilities, to growing up, to following my dad into the industry, to learning about marketing, learning about, you know, I actually give away a lot of advice that would be good for my competitors, to be honest. Oh, that's part you know, of it. But it's, it's just sheer knowledge, mate. Sheer knowledge, sharing myself and, I've got maybe about 100 videos that are recorded and they're in the content calendar to go out. So, you know, if you're following me, this is the time where everything's coming out. So it starts with the personal branding. And then By the Mark- way, just to reiterate, that is exactly how I see it, right? My whole vision around content is that it should be based on what you know. Yeah. And what you know is is a few different things. It's your own life it doesn't have to be work related it can be entertaining it can be personal it can be emotional it can be whatever but sharing little bits about you as a human and what you're into without question connects you to people on a level that people underestimate then then i talk about how you connect the knowledge you have so it's sharing value it's all those insights you give away on the phone all those little bits of information you give away for free every fucking day that get trapped in that one-on-one call that when you deliver it online, it, you can scale your voice to thousands of people. And then there's the credibility bit. 
which we said before, are you any good at this? Yeah. If anyone, you know, if your content plan doesn't include some form of case study testimonial, you know, you sharing success, then you're making an error. But if, if you share personality, knowledge and success, to me, that's the that's the holy grail of a brand because people know, know you, they like you, they, they, they learn from you and they, they've got a pretty good idea of your track record. So yeah, I, I think like, you know, you're if, doing it exactly how I would recommend. When I started the business, I wanted to work with the biggest companies out there. I didn't care if I wasn't getting the most favorable payment terms or fees because I knew that those references would take me far. And I can now say we've worked with the largest roofing organization in the world, the largest yeah. construction material supplier in Europe. You know, we've worked with the fastest grown company in roofing, helped them get from six to 36 million. So I think before you even start your personal brand, your market knowledge, go and do good work for people and then get those references so that you can distribute it. And, you know, I do teach, I do have some recruiters that I work with and I, and I teach them about um, my process and how to sell retainers. But I think that from what you've taught me, Sean, about the personal branding, I'm seeing the weight of it now and it's mm. it's massive. So, you know, the personal branding videos, the market knowledge videos, this is what I know about the market. Again, as a recruiter, you sell yourself based on the quality of questions that you ask and the in-depth, intimate knowledge that you've got of the market. The video podcast, um, Again, I know of you through your podcast. I met my first mentor through a podcast. Um, I've also got a lot of mentorship of James Blackwell. Mm -hmm. um, I heard James on a podcast in like 2016 when he just yeah. set up his business. And he was saying that these large agencies will fail and the boutique specialist recruiters will be the ones that succeed. And before I, I heard that before I get in James's program, before I met him, and that was planting the seeds that then blossomed into what we are now. So the podcast is, is amazing. Obviously, People Make Roofing is our campaign. So we put out a lot of posts about who we've interviewed, what yeah. they've spoke about, what advice they've got for the younger generation or what they would tell the industry about what they need to change. Dripify is an amazing automation tool where you can automate your business development. Reply.io is amazing for email campaigns. And... We've got Stephen who does the cold calling for us, who is absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. At this stage, you I'll don't, so just to stop there, you don't do any of your own cold calling anymore. You have a you have a guy can't. called Steve who picks up the phone for you. He guarantees you, well, he's the one booking in meetings all the time. You just turn up to a qualified pitch. That's the whole model, yeah. right? I can't cold call somebody and say, do you want me to recruit for you? Pay me up front. Positioning doesn't work. No. When Stephen says, do you want to have a call with my managing director? Look, and he'll speak you through the process. The positioning is there. They come in. They know it's a proper business. Then I do the presentation. I'll present to them and who we are, how we work, what our fees are. Um, I'll send them the deposit invoice, and I'll, I'll fill out the search assignment form. So this comes straight from Steve Finkel, uh, the main man, search and, assignment, um, search and placement. So this is what all my staff get. So they get a massive forum, right? It's usually about 10 pages long. I'm on the call with the client, typing away. I've got to tell them about how the company's structured, the selling points, the products that they... Work in, with. One, in one video call, your aim is to convince them to work with you, confirm the job um, the, the job details in, in, in depth with a form that can last 10 pages, and then, you and then you agree the fixed fee. Yeah, exactly that. So How long does that call take? 45 minutes you know some sometimes it takes an hour and a half and that's fine um because you only need to do it once 
the most important part of the full recruitment process is taking the spec. You need to know everything. So you need to know about the history of the company. Who are the key people in the company? What is the vision for the future? What is the culture? What clients do you work with? What flexibility do you give? Who's your competitors? What's your minimum requirements? What is your key competencies for this candidate? So they get, I get that filled in. They get a, an amazing proposal sent to them. They accept it. Op director sends a deposit invoice. What percentage they, of the fee do you charge up front? Price to client, price to opportunity. Don't have a don't have a menu, so that all depends. Um, so they then pay the deposit and they get told that shortlist will be ready in thirty days. If we do find the candidate within one day, we'll phone you straight away. Um, then the staff are then given the search assignment form, which is get everything. Where are we looking now? The, the the orange one or the yeah, so we're here. yeah, we're here. So they get the search assignment form, which is everything they need to know to work in the job. So my staff will never have to do cold calling. They'll never need to do business development. Their job is to be snipers, finding yeah. these perfect individuals. So when they get that, it's then it's then time for them to get to work. So they'll go through the job boards, they'll advertise it, they'll email the candidates in the database, text them, the website. We advertise a lot on the Roofing Today magazine. Right. We then get to the wee special bits. So Sourcebreaker. Sourcebreaker is amazing. We've got the full market mapped out in Sourcebreaker, so they don't need to know. If somebody new starts working for me and they want to know who are the flat roofing contractors in the Northwest, they don't know. They just type in flat roofing contractors Northwest and they all come up. So then if they put in contracts manager, flat roofing contractors Northwest, like that's their hit list right there. So they all go through Sourcebreaker, Indeed, LinkedIn. The other ones are internal database. Outsourced resources are hit and a miss, but they do work. And it means we can cover every single job board that's out there. So you give out you give out to an outsourced team to to also work on it. Yeah, yeah. So that's as the process goes, that's the first thing that you do. You write the job description, the job ad, you send it out to an outsourcer, and then you start working on it yourself. You might get 30 CVs back off them. Would they not work on the same would they not be hitting up the same people as you though? No, because they've got access to other job boards that we don't use. So it's it's cost effective. They might send you 30 CVs, 29 might be shit, but you only need one to fill the role. And if mm. that one is the 30th guy, then it's quids in. Mm. So it's a good model. Um, and then after that, it's delivery. So we are, you know, we've had times where we've not filled a role, but the client's not wanted the deposit back because of how we've done it. So when we do the candidate profile and the candidate screening sheet, we are giving that client an overview of why this candidate's perfect. How did they get to that position? Did they go through the site? Did they come through the commercial route? What products does he specialize in? You know, where is he an expert? Does he have commercial acumen? Is he IT literate? Is he this? There's these references, notice period, salary, all that good stuff. Um, so that's what the recruiters will then send back to me. And then we've got sort of nurturing, which obviously comes from, you know, you can do nurture campaigns through recruiter flow. You can have a content calendar where you're staying front of mind. Um, and again, this is personal branding as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the superstars in the industry, when they do decide to look somewhere, who are they phoning? It should be you if you are a specialist in your market. Who deals with the client once you've 
once you've passed it on, do you talk to the client again or do they get an account manager, someone who's strong enough to then negotiate everything through that process or does it come back to you at some point? Well, it depends. Some clients come to me, some go to my ops director. Um, Brian, who's just been promoted to senior project manager, he's got a lot of clients that go directly to him. Um, I think in terms of safeguarding the business, it's good that it's only the directors and trusted member that joins the business. But when you join this business, you'll start resourcing and then you become a project manager, which means you can run a full project yourself. You don't need any help. And then when I want to give people clients, so when you start then getting clients that come directly to you, that's when you become a senior project manager. Um, so so your, your ideal scenario is to be sat on the pitches and then passing it on, I imagine. That is basically what it is. Um, but there is certain clients that I like speaking to, you know, yeah. I get on with them. But basically, win the work, pass it to the team, go and win more work. That's what my about, job. What about building the, the ongoing relationship with the same clients? Do you have a process around... Just phone you know, them every, every, every month. So I've got a list of all, all our clients on a spreadsheet. And I've got, when was the last time I phoned them? What did we discuss? What's their dog's name? What did they like? Um, and it's just speak to folk, meet with them. And, mm. you know, it gets to the stage where you keep doing that. For one, familiarity breeds trust. They'll phone you when they've got jobs. Mm. But for two, it's... Um, you want to get to the stage where whenever you phone one of your clients, they phone you back straight away or after work. You don't want to be a transactional recruiter. You want to be relationship-led. Um, so for me, it's take clients out to lunch, phone them, give them things. Like what I've done multiple times is a lot of people in the roofing industry, their clients are facilities management companies. So I got one of my VAs to give me a list of 5,000 facilities management companies, managing directors, LinkedIn profiles, and I've just given it to my clients free of charge because give value. The law of um, reciprocity means the more you give, yeah. the more you get. Um, so working this way, hmm. what has that enabled you to bill and, and perform like? What, what was the last year like? So working this way, for one, the mental clarity as a business owner is unparalleled because all I'm focusing on is perfect the sales, bring high quality clients, let the team deal with the rest of it. For them, because we're a specialist, they're always working in the same roles. So it's not as if one day they've got something that they don't know anything about. So it's better for them. Yeah. Since we started this model, um, last year our turnover was double what it was the year before. And the year before it was double what it was the year prior. So basically, in 2004, sorry, in 2020, we'd done 114. But then we started our marketing. So in 2021, we'd done 298. So that was more than double. Hmm. And then last year, um, we doubled that again. Then this year, we'll double it again and we'll hit 1 million. Hmm. Um, so you know, that process has transformed my business. And the thing is as well, like when I've been in these recruitment mentorship programs and I'm meeting all these other recruiters, no one sells retained. And I'm like, it's not difficult if you do what I'm telling you to do. Um, and a lot of people, I don't know if it's a self-confidence issue, their marketing. You know, I've met folks that have got like 100 references on LinkedIn, but they've never sold a retainer. And it's like, what is wrong with you? If you sell, give yourself a target to sell 10 retainers a month 
and you've got two grand up front, that's 20 grand coming into your business straight away. You've got more buy-in, you've got more cash flow. And if you look at the levels of recruitment, your bottom level is your high volume. Do you ever lose out? Do you ever, are you competing when these roles are getting released? Are you competing with, at the, at the early stage, are they like, oh, we're already talking to this recruiter about a contingent relationship? Well, they usually say that. And we've got other recruiters that, that we've spoke with. I was like, How's that working out for you? So we only work exclusive and retained. You either work with only us or we, we won't work with you. Mm. Um, and there has been certain clients where they're that big. We know they've got their relationships in place. So we'll still do it retained. And we don't mind if we're competing. And we'll, we'll then fill the roles. But I'm not interested in the recruitment rat race where it's 10 different companies running to the market to see who can get the piece of paper first to charge a fee. It's archaic and it's the past and it's it's lose-lose for the recruiter, for the client and for the candidate because they're not getting an in-depth understanding of the business. They're just getting their CV sent as quick as possible. So it's the wrong way to do things. And, um, you know, like I said, the MD does need help selling retained recruitment. Um, I do have a sort of a program that I can use to help them, but that's something for down the line. Um, so where... Where are you headed? Because this is a very... The reason I really wanted to interview you today is because it's, it is different. Right? Most of the people I deal with are trying to build headcount. They're trying to build either 360 or 180 recruiters. They're trying to get to a point where it's all about scale. It's all about as many heads as they can, billion, 100, 110 grand a year, whatever. You know, And they, and they grow, grow, grow. The, the founders are trying to take themselves off the tools as fast as possible from a because from an exit perspective, it's... I know Hoxo is not exitable right now because it's so focused on me, just like your business is so focused mm. on you. But that's okay because that's the strategy I'm going with. And so what's your vision and where are you taking this? The phone's going, it's all kicking off now. But where where, where are you heading with this? What's the what does the future look like as far as you can see? So, you know, if you've got a business that's generating a lot of money every month, it's relatively low touch. Why would you want to sell it? I don't want to sell it. You know, I want to pass it down to my kids one day. Um, you know, for us, we're lucky that we've got such good trainers on the industry and the market. But, I mean, the future is the USA, mate. You know, if you look at the USA market, the fees are triple, sometimes quadruple the size of what it is in the UK. Um, and I think as well, well, maybe, because I was like, what do I do next? Do we look at different markets? Do we try and do executive search? And it's like, no take our values and our expertise and take it to the US market. The US market have got the exact same problems as the as the UK market in terms of the competition, how hard it is to get staff, skill shortage, generation gap, yada, yada. Recruiters are more respected in the in the US. They get paid more money. There's shorter notice periods. Um, so for me, it's, you know, just keep growing the business. Um, roll out the campaign, roll out the personal brand. We've got some meetings set up with US clients. Um, so get our first fee in the US and get more intimately involved with the market as well. So there's a few associations in our industry. One I'm going to become a board member of. The other one I'll become an ambassador of. And another one I'm going to just be, you know, more active in the networking with them. Mm. So get more intimate relationships with our clients. Go to the US market and keep scaling with the model that we've got. Um, I'd like to implement the VA model a bit more. Don't use that as much. But really, it's just keep doing what we're doing. 
um, retain our position as number one in the UK market and then become number one, the number one roofing and cladding recruitment company in the US market. Um, so that's what our focus is for this year to get to that stage. And, you know, it's not too far away, mate. So, And it sounds like your business is so well documented and planned out and thought through that it is, it's, it is scalable. It's finding hmm. more people to join the resourcing team. Eventually, you might need to find a few more Lukes who can pitch and close. Mm. Um, I love that part of the job, mate. I, yeah. I, I love that. Somebody, we had somebody doing tailor sales and she was like, I could do your presentations. And I was like, no, that's, I love it. Um, and I, that's something that I, I like to hold on to. But I think you're right. To make it more scalable, if we get other people that can give this pitch and get routine projects on, it would definitely blow the business up to the next level. But I do love doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luke, we are running out of time. I know you wanted to show your presentation, but I'm thinking about, honestly, the time frame that I've got now. Um, That's fine, mate. I mean, we can have a deeper dive another time if you like. There's yeah, I'd like to get you back on. What I think people are going to do is they're going to listen to this and they think it's very different to my normal episode because we're not talking about just pure headcount growth and all the rest of it. You're going about your business in a very unique way. Now, the numbers compared to some other brands won't, won't, won't be that impressive. You know, 700 grand, a million. It's not blowing but the way you've done it meticulously from 30 grand to 600 700 grand and onto a million i think it's incredible i genuinely love it i think it's different i think it's unique and i think it's future proof i think you've, you've yeah you might have took a bit longer getting to certain points but you're going to be i think you're going to you're going to explode in the next few years i think in the uk and in the us i think what everything you said you want to do you've got the you've got the the pillars are in place now it's about yeah. just loading on top, isn't it? Yeah, um, absolutely. It's, you know, it might be, the turnover number might not be massive. The profit margin is a decent size. You get these businesses that are turning over 100 million that make 1% profit, and it's like, why are you doing that? Yeah. Um, but it's a snowball, mate, and the snowball's got a lot bigger, and, you know, it's got to turn into an avalanche very soon. So I'm glad that you can see it. And um, i got tons of other points that I wanted to make, but maybe another time. What about final question is what's your life like now? So what how would you describe you outside of work now? You still you still obsessed constantly or is there a bit more balance? What what's your life like? Still obsessed constantly, mate. You know, um we've got all these new staff. We've just refurbed the office. It's a new year. We're going to a new country. I'm buzzing about it, mate. Like work life is work, gym, you know, go for a sauna, steam room, nice meal with my girlfriend, take the dog a walk, back to work. Um I'm definitely, I've actually, I lost the obsession for a bit and now it's back in, in full scheme, but I've matured a lot during the business. I'm calmer, I'm more um, I'm more capable of everything I want to do and um, my mind's in a good place, mate. So life's good, business is good and it's only the beginning. Mate, I'm really happy for you. It's exciting. I think you're going to do it, do a brilliant job. Um, I'll definitely get you back on in the future. If anyone wants to reach out to you and ask some questions, they've enjoyed today's show, they think they could learn from your pitch deck or whatever, are you open to giving to people some time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't market myself as someone that helps other recruiters, but we do. I do have a few people that I work with intimately. Um, if anyone wants to know how to sell retained recruitment with a no-bullshit approach, I'm happy to help them. Mm. If anyone wants personal branding, phone Sean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. so yeah, no. yeah connect to me on LinkedIn see what we're doing with the campaign it is a this is a model that has not been replicated from someone else 
I've took the best parts of all my mentors and all my experience and I've made it unique to us. But it's it is something that you can replicate, but there's a few things you need to do first. And um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to help MD with that. And you know, if you want a new age expanding recruitment agency to join, we are hiring um, and we're also offering hybrid remote working as well. So you've got to be someone in Glasgow though. You won't no, care. mate, we just yesterday we changed our model to hybrid. Somebody wanted to work from home. I didn't really want to. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, no, I do want to. This is the future. This is the future of the world. So, yeah, we're, we're offering that now as well. So If you're in Manchester and you say hybrid, what are you going to do? You're going to get them on a train up to Glasgow once a week or what? what's the plan? I don't know, man. A couple of days a month. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Come up a few days a month, getting into the culture. My non-exec director, he's down in Newcastle. One of my sales guys, he's down in Stockport. So, yeah. um, you know, it's a case-by-case basis. So if you want to join us, contact me. If you need training to become a retained recruiter, contact me. And, um, you know... Look forward to coming back on with you, Sean. And I actually got to come down to Manchester and see you because Brian, that I was telling you about, you're mad about marketing. And um, the first time that I spoke to you and I seen your turnover, your numbers, your staff count, but your model's the same as mine. I was like, wow. Um, so, yeah, we need to come down and I'm off the boots. Yeah, my, my, my front office is like yours and then my back office has to be bigger because I've got a much bigger client base and we sell, you know, ongoing re- re- work for, for brands so yeah like 38 people i think 31 of those people are all delivering to the clients that are on the agency and then there's a really lean front end which means we you know we we, we do well and we may we make high profit but it is only like now aaron's just gone it's me and amma my business partner selling it's very similar to yours it's booked mm-hmm. book meetings pitch the meetings pass it on there's people doing all the work like it's it's like a, it's a more advanced or not even advanced. It's more, we've just been doing it a bit longer in that respect. But yeah. I think, uh, look, I respect what you've done. Look, thank you so much, Luke. Definitely going to get you back on in the show in the future. Wish you all the best. I hope people reach out to you and uh, please stay safe. Look after yourself. You too, mate. Thanks again, Sean. Thank you as always for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level, individual recruiters in your businesses, how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. I'll see you soon.